Hi, everybody. It's Derek, and this is your Foreign Exchanges World News Roundup for Saturday, March 4th, and Sunday, March 5th, 2023. Uh, before we get started, uh, this is the first Sunday of the month, and uh, for the last couple of months, and hopefully continuing in the future, uh, the first Sunday, our first Sunday of the month newsletter is sponsored by World Politics Review, which is a great online journal that features in-depth news and analysis on global affairs. Uh, they sponsored last month's newsletter, uh, and regular readers will know I read World Politics Review. I use uh, a number of their pieces uh, in putting together the newsletter, so I uh, highly recommend them. Uh, Alex Thurston has written for them, a columnist here at Foreign Exchanges, so if you're familiar with his work and you like his work, uh, that's another place you can check it out. Uh, again, I'm very pleased uh, that they're sponsoring today's roundup. Uh, you can click. There's links in the, the written newsletter. Obviously, I can't put them here in the audio, but uh, you can click over uh, to sign up for their free newsletter. Again, uh, totally free. Uh, you can also uh, learn how to get an all-access World Politics Review subscription for just $1 for the first three months and for 50% off the regular price after that. So please, if uh, if you're looking for more coverage and analysis of, of international affairs, I, I really do recommend them. So uh, please check it out. Uh, with that, let's get into the roundup. A uh, couple of anniversaries. On March 3rd, 1878, the Treaty of San Stefano ended the 1877-1878 Ottoman-Russian War uh, with a decisive Russian victory. Uh, the treaty was, in fact, so lopsided, uh, in particular, the amount of territory given to Bulgaria was so great that Britain and France deemed it unacceptable from a balance of power standpoint, and they stepped in and forced the treaty to be substantially revised at the Congress of Berlin, which was held later that summer. Also on March 3rd, 1918, excuse me, the Bolshevik government of Russia signed the Treaty of Brest-Litovsk with the Central Powers, marking Russia's formal withdrawal from World War I. Uh, in in addition to quitting the war, Russia ceded its claims on Belarus, Estonia, Finland, Latvia, Lithuania, Poland, and Ukraine in Eastern Europe. Uh, that's quite a list, all of which were expected to come under German domination, uh, and all of its territories in the Caucasus, which were expected to come under Ottoman domination. Naturally, all of those plans went somewhat awry when the Central Powers lost the war. Uh, that's that's what you get for planning things, I suppose. Uh, on March 4th, 1493, Christopher Columbus and his crew aboard the Nina arrived at the port of Lisbon, Portugal, on their return from his first voyage to the lands that would soon be known as the Americas. Uh, after navigating some legal hot water over interpretations of the 1479 uh, Treaty of Alascovas, uh, or Alasovas, uh, which divided the Atlantic, had divided the Atlantic into Portuguese and Spanish spheres of influence. Uh, Columbus returned to Spain, finally was allowed to return to Spain. He was convinced, of course, that he had charted a Western route to Asia. He was just a little bit off, just slightly, uh, you know, who's to say, uh, you know, a little calculation here or there. Uh, but to be fair, to be fair to you know Columbus and the whole gang, they did eventually figure that out. Uh, on March 5th in the year 363, the em Roman Emperor Julian, uh, later dubbed Julian the Apostate, since he has the distinction of being the last non-Christian Roman ruler. I don't think he was actually an apostate, but the, whatever, it's propaganda. Anyway, he led his army east to invade the Sasanian Persian Empire. 
Uh, Roman invasions of Persia generally turned out to be mistakes, and though Julian was a fairly skilled military commander, this campaign was certainly no exception. After some initial successes, Julian gave up his plan to besiege Ctesiphon, uh, and instead he led his army on an aimless, basically aimless march through Mesopotamia, harassed the whole way by Sasanian forces. He eventually died of wounds, suffered in the Battle of Samara in June. Uh, the army chose his successor, uh, who was a general named Jovian or Jovian. Uh, who ordered a prompt retreat back to Roman territory. One suspects that the reason he was chosen as successor was because he was willing to order that retreat. Uh, anyway, uh, moving on to the news. Uh, in international news, there were, uh, a group of 100 United Nations member states reached an agreement over the weekend on the High Seas Treaty. Uh, probably it will get a fancier name at some point. Uh, this treaty has been under negotiation for about 15 years now. It is meant to conserve and rebuild ocean ecosystems. Uh, at present, territorial waters may be protected to some degree. Obviously, it depends on the country in question. But international waters are essentially a free-for-all, which is a status that has had deleterious effects on biodiversity in particular. Uh, it remains to be seen whether enough UN members will ratify the treaty for it to become binding. And I put binding in quotes because nothing the UN does is truly binding without an enforcement mechanism, particularly with respect to the United States, which I'm sure will not be party to this treaty at any point, uh, and which invariably does what it wants, where it wants, when it wants. Uh, in the Middle East, in Israel-Palestine, Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu insisted on Sunday that his finance minister, Bezalel Smotrich, uh, had misspoken when he called for the West Bank town of Hawara to be wiped out in an interview on Wednesday. Uh, sure, let's go with that. Why not? Uh, Smotrich himself said in an interview on Saturday that he, quote, did not mean harm to innocents, end quote, though it is unclear how one could wipe out an entire town without harming any of its residents. I'm sure an AI could figure it out. I don't know. Uh, uh, Smotrich's initial comment drew a rare rebuke from the U.S. government. State Department spokesperson Ned Price characterized it as irresponsible, repugnant, disgusting. These are all quotes from, from his comments. Of course, this is all purely rhetorical. Even if the Israeli government actually did wipe out Hawara, it wouldn't change anything about U.S. policy uh, toward Israel and Palestine. Uh, in Kuwait, Kuwaiti Crown Prince Sheikh Michal al-Ahmed al-Jabr al-Sabah appointed Sheikh Ahmed Nawaf al-Sabah as Kuwait's new prime minister. If that name seems familiar, it's because he was also Kuwait's old prime minister. Uh, uh, Sheikh Ahmed uh, and his cabinet resigned back in January amid their continued impasse with the Kuwaiti parliament. The royal family and opposition le legislators uh, disagree on several areas of policy, and they fundamentally disagree uh, on parliament's frequent demands to question members of the cabinet. Sheikh Michel dissolved parliament last year in hopes that a snap election would produce a friendlier legislature, uh, but clearly it didn't work out that way. Uh, in Iran, protesters took to the streets of Tehran and other Iranian cities on Saturday over a string of unexplained illnesses that have struck schoolgirls across the country since November. Iranian officials have raised the possibility that the girls are being poisoned, but they haven't offered an especially compelling suspect beyond enemies, and it seems that a fair number of people uh, suspect instead that extremist elements within the Iranian security establishment, specifically the Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps and its besiege paramilitaries, uh, are responsible. Elsewhere, the head of the International Atomic Energy Agency, Rafael Grossi, seems very pleased with the results of his trip to Iran this week, telling reporters on Saturday that he and Iranian officials, quote, agreed on a number of very concrete things, end quote. That's 
very concrete of him. Uh, according to Grossi, the Iranians agreed to restore IAEA monitoring cameras that they've removed or allowed to lapse into disuse since Donald Trump wrecked the Iran nuclear deal back in 2018. He says they also agreed to allow more frequent IAEA inspections at Iran's Fordo nuclear uh, uranium enrichment plant, excuse me, and to make nuclear personnel available for IAEA interviews. Uh, Iranian officials have denied this last bit in particular, so clearly they and Grossi aren't entirely on the same page in terms of what they discussed or what they uh, may have agreed to. Uh, as to the issue that brought Grossi to Iran in the first place, the discovery of trace amounts of 84% enriched uranium at Fordow, the IAEA boss said there's no evidence uh, that Iranians are actively producing or stockpiling uranium at that level, though it is still unclear how those trace elements were generated. In Asia and Azerbaijan, a skirmish between Azerbaijani soldiers and security forces from the Nagorno-Karabakh regional government left at least five people dead on Sunday. According to Azerbaijani authorities, their troops intercepted a convoy they believed was carrying weapons. There is no indication that it was actually carrying weapons, uh, and officials in Karabakh characterized the suspicion as quote-unquote absurd. In Pakistan, uh, Pakistani police decided to stop by former Prime Minister Imran Khan's home in Lahore on Sunday for a friendly chat and also to arrest him over allegations that he illegally sold official gifts he received while Prime Minister. Uh, according to Islamabad, issued a warrant for the XPM's arrest on Tuesday after he'd apparently missed a number of hearings related to the case. Khan somehow managed to avoid the fuzz. He later spoke to a crowd of his supporters, characterizing the attempted arrest as part of a general threat to his life that also apparently includes the attack on his person in Wazirabad back in November. Whether or not the legal case against Khan is legitimate, this situation is a powder keg. Uh, in China, the Chinese government is planning to increase defense spending by 7.2% in 2023, a rate that's 0.1% higher than its 2022 increase and significantly higher than the government's 5% GDP growth projection. Uh, that level of increase is consistent with building up an expectation of a war, presumably with the United States, though I cannot say whether that's because Chinese leaders want to kill you and everyone you've ever loved, or because a bunch of people in the U.S. government keep talking about going to war with them. Uh, I would probably increase defense spending, too, under the circumstances. Uh, and even with that increase, Beijing is spending $224 billion on its military this year, compared with a cool $858 billion for the U.S., though China does have some advantages in terms of purchasing power. U.S. analysts often claim that China understates its annual level of defense spending, but I have no idea whether they have any factual basis for that assertion. Uh, a study from the Australian Strategic Policy Institute published this week determined that China is ahead of the U.S. in 37 of 42 advanced technologies. These are things like 6G telecommunications, hypersonic weapons, all sorts of uh, cool stuff, I guess. Uh, but hey, you know, at least the U.S. has more aircraft carriers, and I think some of them actually work. So, I mean, we've got that going for us. Uh, I mentioned the study mostly because you may have read something about it, but as the ASPI is funded by the Australian government in combination with a whole bunch of tech firms, defense contractors, and other friendly governments who all have a vested interest in hyping the Chinese threat. Uh, I'm really not sure how much weight I would give to their research. Uh, in Africa and Tunisia, 
Protests were the order of the weekend. Uh, on Saturday, the country's largest trade union, the UGTT, brought thousands of people into the streets of Tunis over the country's weak economy and in opposition to President Qais Saeed's authoritarianism. Hundreds marched again on Sunday. Well, I shouldn't say again. They might, might have been totally different people for all I know. Uh, but hundreds marched on Sunday to demand the release of some 20 political opponents who have been jailed by Saeed's government over the past few weeks. Sunday's protest was organized by the National Salvation Front, which is a coalition of opposition parties. In Burkina Faso, authorities have imposed an overnight curfew in the country's Nord region and part of its Centre-Est region. Uh, sorry, I tried to throw in a little French there. It didn't go well. Uh, through the, At least the end of this month. I really do apologize for my bad accent. Uh, in an effort to bolster their fight against Islamist militants. Uh, the Est region or East region is already under an overnight curfew through at least mid-May. And seeing as how that curfew has been in place since 2019, I suspect it will be renewed. Uh, in South Sudan, South Sudanese President Salva Kiir fired Interior Minister Mahmoud Solomon and Defense Minister Angelina Tenney on Friday, uh, which could have serious implications for the country's ongoing peace process. Tenney uh, is a member of Vice President Riek Makar's Su- Sudan People's Liberation Movement and Opposition Party. Uh, she's Makar's wife to boot, so this just makes it even a, a little more personal. Uh, and the agreement that Kiir and Makar made to settle their longstanding hostilities back in 2020 uh, specified that Makar's party is supposed to control the defense ministry. Kier has apparently decided that he'd like his own Sudan People's Liberation Movement party uh, to control the defense ministry and thought he'd give Makar control of the interior ministry as a consolation. I haven't yet seen any reaction from Makar, but this could go badly if he's uh, displeased. In Europe, in Estonia, Estonian voters went to the polls on Sunday to choose a new parliament, and it would appear that they've opted mostly for continuity over change. Prime Minister Kaya Kallas' reform party has won with a bit over 31% of the vote, will likely gain uh, two or three seats over the 34 it already controlled. Uh, She will once again need to form a majority coalition, but as her party will probably wind up only about 14 seats shy of a majority in the 101-seat legislature, that shouldn't be a major hurdle. The far-right EKRE party finished in second place, which is a step up from 29, the 2019 election when it finished third. However, it's, the 16-ish percent that it won is actually a bit worse than it did in absolute terms in 2019. Uh, the runner-up from 2019, the center party, was the night's big loser, dropping around 10 seats with most of its lost support apparently winding up with the also-pretty-centrist Estonia 200 party. Turnout was around 64%. Uh, that's in line with historic precedent and suggests the talk of a boycott by ethnic Russians uh, over Kallis' staunch support for Ukraine uh, was just talk. Uh, Ukraine, in Ukraine, sorry, fighting continues to range, rage around Bakhmut uh, with no indication yet that Ukrainian authorities are withdrawing or preparing to withdraw their forces from the almost totally encircled city. It's still not clear what they're hoping to gain by leaving their garrison in Bakhmut. Possibly they feel they're wearing the Russian attackers down, but the defense has worn Ukrainian forces down as well, and Russia still has greater capacity to absorb losses of men and materiel and to churn out more ammunition. That said... Wagner Group boss Evgeny Prigozhin, this is amazing, whose forces are still spearheading the assault on Bakhmut, is now claiming once again uh, over the weekend that his men are not getting the ammunition that they need. He warned that they might have to withdraw uh, from the fight, which could have chaotic effects on the Russian front line. 
Elsewhere, two Ukrainian pilots have reportedly been brought to Arizona for flight simulator training with the U.S. Air Force. This is probably the first step towards supplying the Ukrainians with F-16s, although unsurprisingly, nobody in the U.S. government is saying that. They're supposedly training on Ukrainian military jets in order to improve their piloting simulations of Ukrainian military jets in order to improve their piloting, which is all very simple and believable. Uh, but I would be surprised if they were not also being evaluated for t- potential training uh, on the F-16, probably, or, or other U.S. aircraft. Uh, In the Americas, in Ecuador, the Ecuadorian National Assembly voted on Saturday to approve an investigative report that recommends opening impeachment proceedings against President Guillermo Lasso on corruption charges. The report finds evidence that Lasso has been selling jobs in and contracts with state-owned companies, charges that Lasso has unsurprisingly denied. The vote doesn't mean the legislature will move to impeach Lasso, but it could signal a move in that direction. Uh... In Mexico, meanwhile, uh, Jacobin's Kurt Hackbarth has a piece where he uh, had a piece over the weekend arguing that the coverage in Western media of Mexican President Andres Manuel Lopez Obrador's proposed cuts to the National Electoral Institute uh, has been seriously flawed. Uh, I'll just read a couple of paragraphs here. In contrast to the lurid sensationalism of the Anglo-American establishment press, the actual law itself is quite mundane. The National Electoral Institute, or INE, is widely recognized to be riddled with excess expenditure and a top-heavy bureaucracy. The new law simply mandates similar cost-saving measures to those that the administration of President Andres Manuel Lopez Obrador has applied to other governmental departments. It eliminates duplicate functions at the local and district level and fuses certain higher-level job descriptions. It also reigns in eye-catching top salaries by means of comparison in a country where the minimum wage is approximately $10 U.S. per day. The head of the institute makes the pre-tax equivalent of some uh, U.S. uh, $13,000 per month, uh, plus benefits, bonuses, a vehicle, a private insurance plan, generous phone and food stipends, and a battery of 11 advisors, four of whom earn more than the president. The law also facilitates voting rights for the disabled, those held in pretrial detention, and the millions of migrants living abroad. It provides tougher sanctions for the endemic practice of vote buying and enshrines in law the inclusion of minorities and members of vulnerable groups on on candidate lists. It establishes a commission to study the application of electronic voting, and in light of a series of incidents in which the INE sought to ban people from running for office for actions as innocuous as tweeting, the law reduces its ability to interfere arbitrarily with citizens' political rights. So, in other words, it's it's a step toward dictatorship, which uh, David Frum, I believe, uh, in The Atlantic has been really pushing. Uh, he's looking for a new Iraq, and, and you know, he got to invade somewhere, right? Uh, and Mexico seems to be his new target. Anywho, uh, in Haiti, a new report from the United Nations Office on Drugs and Crime finds that illicit weapons from the United States are flooding Haiti, where they're being purchased primarily by criminal gangs. These include everything from handguns to rifles to machine guns. As is the case in Mexico, guns from the U.S. Uh, flood this, these places and make them e- make it easier for criminal networks to function, and that helps contribute to the flow of drugs going in the opposite direction. This is the part of the war on drugs that almost nobody in Washington seems interested in mentioning. I wonder why. 
Finally, in the United States, uh, Spencer Ackerman writes at Rolling Stone, tracing a line from the Iraq War to the many other, uh, albeit less consequential, grifts that the U.S. has seen over the last couple of decades. Uh, He starts off with the example of James Mattis, the former defense secretary who served as a division commander in Iraq, made his bones as a division commander in Iraq to some extent, uh, and later went on to serve very credulously on the board at Theranos, uh, you know, one of the great corporate cons of, uh, of recent history. Um, and he, he does really trace a, a line here. I'll read you a couple of paragraphs from, from uh, the middle of the piece. Perhaps it has worked out that way because so few people deceiving the public have paid any appreciable legal, political, or reputational price. Paul Yingling, an army armor officer who served in Iraq's Nineveh province, wrote in 2007 that, quote, a private who loses a rifle suffers far greater consequences than a general who, use, who loses a war, end quote. Uh, From the vantage of 2023, it feels quaint that anyone ever thought it would be otherwise. Bush and Cheney have been functionally rehabilitated by the Trump presidency rather than viewed as its preconditions. One of the most important Democratic validators of the war is our current president. Cultural cues like these function as permissions, something Holmes prosecutors, Elizabeth Holmes from Theranos, evidently understood. They said they weren't just seeking to convict Holmes, they wanted to deter, quote, future startup fraud schemes, end quote. The distance of 20 years makes it easy easier to see that the disaster of Iraq combined with the impunity its architects enjoyed proved that lying and scheming and enabling at ever greater scale would result in no real reprisal for the powerful. The prevailing consensus now is that the Iraq war was a mistake, a deviation born of post 9-11 madness. In reality, it's an endeavor that captures the spirit of an age of grift. It was a big con built on cherished myths of American power, greatness, and justice that heralded a thousand more. It's a great piece. Uh, Spencer, uh, you know, always always writes well, and I would uh, definitely recommend checking it out. On that note, uh, again, I want to uh, say check out World Politics Review. Uh, there's a link in the, the newsletter tonight. Uh, and I want to thank all of you for reading and or listening to the newsletter, especially those of you who are foreign exchanges subscribers and those of you who are paid foreign exchanges subscribers. Most of all, uh, if you have not become a foreign ex- paid foreign exchanges subscriber, I'm, please, I'm uh, imploring you uh, to consider consider it. Uh, it is the lifeblood of this newsletter and the only way that I can continue to do it. So um, on that note, until next time, take care and I'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye.